Hello guys, you're so welcome here today to this podcast, which deals with all things in relation to narcissistic abuse, understanding it and surviving it and actually going on to thrive. Hi guys, um, today we it's a very special day. We have an extraordinary person who's helped our community uh, extensively and greatly. And I would like to introduce you, H.G. Tudor, to our platform HD, you're extremely welcome today, and we're very honoured to have you here. And I would also like to extend great thank you for the work you do for our community. It's helped me personally, and it's helped thousands of people. Could I ask you briefly to introduce yourself and to tell some people who may not know of you um, to, uh, to introduce yourself and, and let them know what exactly you do? Certainly. Well, thank you for that warm welcome, Paula, and I'm pleased that my work's helped you. Uh, my name's H.G. Tudor, which is a pseudonym. I keep my identity hidden for reasons that will become apparent. Um, I am an author and a creator of videos, and alongside that, I'm a narcissistic psychopath that explains to people the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I operate, and also those similar to me to enable people to understand precisely how our minds function, the way that we see the world and how it's different from you and how you see the world. I have written many books, created hundreds of videos, written thousands of blog articles and consulted with many, many thousands of people to enlighten them as to what really it is like to be involved with a narcissist and how we function and operate to enable people to understand that and then take the appropriate action to achieve their freedom. Thank you. HG, could I ask you what inspired your first video? What inspired you to make it? Which video are you referring to? Your very first video that you ever put up on YouTube. What basically inspired you to to go ahead and make these videos? Okay. I originally started with a a blog, which I began in August 2015. And thereafter, I looked at moving uh, the information to YouTube in early 2016. Mm -hmm. And I considered creating new material to enable people to have something different. So you had existing material in writing, and then there was going to be new material. And then I thought to myself, well, actually, There are some people who prefer to get their content through reading it. There are others who prefer to receive it orally and visually. And therefore, what I will do, I will use my considerable body of work that I've written, and I will narrate that material and place it on YouTube. And I did so. And I had a previous channel, which I operated for a period of time, and then started a new channel uh, called The Ultra, uh, which I started last year. And the purpose, basically is to enable people to understand so many different facets of narcissism, the narcissistic dynamic, the interaction with empaths, the way that we regard empaths, the way that your thinking uh, causes you to remain stuck in relationships or familial, romantic, social work with narcissists, and also to get rid of a lot of misinformation about our kind that is put out there by people who are either well-meaning but don't understand it and are relaying their own experiences, which has a validation, but they make mistakes and they don't know the whole of the picture. And then other people that put out entirely false information uh, driven by their own grandiosity. And that is not only unhelpful, but in certain instances is dangerous. But overall... As part of doing that, the primary reason that I do all of this is to create a legacy for myself. Yeah, I know. I've I've heard you say that before. And the thing I would really like to ask you is, in some of the interviews I've listened to you um, speak in, you, you you come across as very passionate in getting the message across about narcissism mm-hmm. and people making mistakes on channels about yeah. how narcissists think. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel that, that you have a great passion there and that there's altruism there involved, that you're actually, you're really helping us. 
I mean, there's no denying you're really, really helping us. The information you give is totally on point and it's so relatable, even though it's such a complex uh, subject. So is is there altruism there? No, there's no such thing as an altruistic narcissist. That's an oxymoron. I'm doing it for me, but you all happen to benefit. I am very determined about the provision of this information. When I see misinformation about narcissism, that acts to threaten my control. And as you'll know from my work, we have to pursue four things. Most narcissists don't know this because they're unaware of what they are, but we need control, fuel, character traits, and residual benefits. So when I see or hear, or more usually it's relayed to me by one of my uh, one of my many viewers and listeners, X is saying this, mm. that offends my sense of control because it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. So I'm moved to want to assert control, not directly over that person by contacting them and saying, hey, your channel's useless, you're saying something that's incorrect, because I would be giving that individual fuel if they're a narcissist, and it's also time-consuming for me to do it. So I don't do it that way. I do it through my platform, which allows me to assert control by giving the right information. Also, I must create this legacy. And as part of doing that, the information has to be right. And it demonstrates, as you've just mentioned, that the information is right because you find it relatable. It's assisted you beyond measure. And you can see it from the comments and the many testimonials that I received that people realize, yes, not only does he know what he's talking about, but this material, I can understand it and it works. And therefore, as part of ensuring that I achieve my legacy, this information has to be relatable and understandable. And there's two parts to that. One, cutting away the nonsense, which is incorrect, so that people can get the information that matters and at the same time ensuring that the information that you all receive is accurate. And then when you access it and realise this is jolly helpful, this has helped beyond measure, I'm going to keep using it, keep digesting it, and I'm going to recommend it. Or I'll just tell the world at large, this really helped me, it might help you. Or you speak to a relative that, or a friend about it, and thus my legacy grows and extends. So what you perceive as a passion is my determination to ensure that my legacy is achieved. And therefore, I'm forthright and determined in the dissemination of this information to remove the misinformation and ensure the accuracy is provided to you all in an understandable and relatable way. Thank you. That really straightens that one out for me. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, If you wouldn't mind answering questions that might help our viewers understand a little bit more about narcissism. These are some questions I've wanted to ask for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to your very earliest memories, your childhood memories, HD, can you ever remember feeling the emotion of happiness? No. No. Anything that would come near to that? Or how do you understand happiness? Is it just cognitively? Yes. I have seen the behaviours of other members of my family, obviously, when I was a young boy, and family, friends, etc., exhibiting uh, what I came to understand as happiness. And they talk about what that feeling is like. And I realised I don't feel anything in the way that they describe that. And I, ne- I don't recall ever feeling that either. So what, what keeps you going, you know, in relation to not getting depressed? What, what, what fulfills you? There is no such thing as fulfillment for a narcissist because there is a void there that can never be filled. But for someone as capable as I am, mm. it's not that I feel that yawning emptiness on a daily basis. So I must always move forward. I can't stop. And many people go, that must be exhausting. And I understand that you may well regard it as exhausting. I don't. I'm designed this way. I am designed to do this. I've been engineered. And I'm very, very effective at it. So it doesn't cause me a problem. And what drives me is I have to assert control through a variety of different ways. And I require fuel. 
And when I receive that fuel, as fuel does, that's why I call it as such, it powers me. It enables me to drive forward, to assert control, and gain more fuel. It sustains me. And therefore, my narcissism has been developed in a particular way that I have an awareness of those needs. Other narcissists that are aware would call them different names. They wouldn't necessarily refer to it as fuel. But they know that they would need the response of other people to make them feel powerful, to make them feel validated. And that is what drives me forward, the pursuit, essentially, of the prime aims. Okay, thank you for explaining that. It's something we find very hard to understand as empaths in our community, and it, it'll help yeah. people. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so do you think in the right environment or upbringing, a pers- person that's um, genetically predisposed to a narcissistic style or a narcissistic personality can, with the right controlled environment, develop empathy and escape being a narcissist? Yes. Narcissism arises as a consequence of a genetic predisposition, as you've mentioned, allied with a lack of control environment. So think of it as the seed in the soil. One of those things is missing, no narcissist. Both of those things are present, and it is allowed to marinate, if you will. A narcissist is created. So if you've got an individual who has a genetic predisposition towards narcissism, but they don't experience that lack of control environment because they are shielded from it or it just doesn't exist in the first place. So you might have a child whose grandfather is a narcissist and the parents aren't. So the genetic predisposition has come from grandfather, but the environment in which they live is an entirely supportive one with two empathic or two normal parents. Therefore, they don't become a narcissist and they develop empathy. Well, okay. Okay, so this this next question, I'm I'm very interested to hear your answer. Um, Given that you're obviously incredibly intelligent and you have high intellectual capabilities, um, Mm -hmm. could you possibly overcome your narcissism or would you actually want to? There's no need for me to do so. It works entirely effectively for me. Okay, That is a question I was going to ask you later on, but I think maybe if I could ask you now, in relation to to the narcissistic personality disorder, do you think it's effective against um, protecting you against pain? Define what you mean by pain. Um, Well, when we would get sad or depressed or Uh emotionally hurt, I don't get sad. I don't experience that. I experience a feeling of being what's described as wounded or a threat to my control, which manifests as the narcissist feeling uh, unimportant. Now, an unaware narcissist would claim to feel sad, would claim to feel depressed, would claim to feel distraught. Um, But that's what the narcissism is telling that narcissist to understand as to what they're feeling. What it really is, is a threat to control. So, If I experience a threat to my control, I don't get sad. It threatens uh, my sense of um, power, my sense of well-being. It suggests to me that I don't matter, that I am unimportant. It starts to make me feel weakened. So I don't cry. That doesn't happen, though some narcissists do. And then the narcissism, of course, acts to stop that feeling continuing as quickly as it can through motivating me to assert control, which would be, in some instances, by igniting my fury. And so I would, in essence, you would see it as losing my temper. Now, I have a very high control over my ignited fury, so I can keep it under control. So I will assert control to nullify the threat in a different way. So, for example... Somebody might say, make a cutting remark towards me. The fact that they're paying me attention gives me fuel. That's not the problem. The fact that they are criticizing me threatens my sense of control. Now, some narcissists would turn around and might punch that person in the face. It's a rather rudimentary method of asserting control, but it's effective nevertheless, because the moment they put that person on their bottom, they have control over them in that instant. I wouldn't do that. 
I would probably respond with a witty, cutty remark back at them to demonstrate that I've got the intellectual high ground. And then their gawping face at my remark tells me I have control and the laughter of other people at my remark back to them signals that I also have control. So I would deal with it. So in that instant, I would start to feel a slight sense of weakness, but my narcissism in a calculated fashion causes me to respond thus asserting control and nullifying that threat. So that momentary sense of weakness is eradicated in the blink of an eye. Now, all narcissists will respond in a particular way to deal with that. Mm. But the response will be different depending upon the type of narcissist. Okay. Okay. So you make it an effective, you make it an effective way to control um, situations you don't like. Yeah. Precisely. When when we deal with people, our narcissism dictates that we must get the prime aims from you. Fuel, control, character traits, residual benefits. But we don't need all four from everybody. We need to get them in some form, but we don't need them from everybody. And the one thing we must always have is control. We must have control over you. And we will either do that directly, indirectly, or through withdrawal. Now, Indirect and withdrawal aren't in the strictest sense controlling you, but that doesn't matter because Mm. in our world, in our world, it's that we have that control. So that's, for instance, that the narcissist goes away and smears you as a form of asserting control over you. You may not even hear about the smear. And even if you do, you might not respond to it. But it's the fact that other people agree with us that you're a horrible person allows us in the unconscious where it's an unaware narcissist to feel that control over you. So it's very, very effective because it control is always obtained. We either do, it might take a little while to get there, dependent upon the uh, evolution of the particular narcissist, but we either do it directly, that doesn't work or isn't available. We shift to indirectly, that doesn't work or isn't available. We go to withdrawal and withdrawal always allows us to do it. We either put the phone down on you or walk away from you, or we just decide, no, I'm not going to reply to that message. And because it's our decision, it's our control. Of course, we're not controlling you because you might still be talking on the other end of the phone, calling us all sorts, but we can't hear it. Therefore, we have control. We've nullified the threat. So narcissism is hugely effective in that regard about getting control in the moment. Of course, for certain narcissists, it leads to collateral consequences. Going back to the example of the individual that punches somebody, he asserts control, but thereafter is arrested for assault. But of course, he won't accept that it's his fault his narcissism will tell him, through the altered perspective, that man provoked me. It wasn't me, officer. Yeah. I have to say, HD, it's extremely frustrating if you're an empathic person and somebody ghosts you or, as you say, mm-hmm. they exert control over you by withdrawal. It's, it, it's mm-hmm. extremely effective. And, yeah, it does, it does give that person control over you. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's torturous for us, I'll have to say. Um, Yes, many people say that the silent treatment, or in some instances, it's shelving. So you're given a silent treatment to begin with, and then you're left on the shelf if you are what I call a secondary source. Yeah. Um, that I, I describe it as um, basically murdering without feeling. That mm. The impact it has upon the empath is rather than you think, well, stuff you, you're not talking to me, so be it. Why are they not talking to me? What can I do to change this situation? Have I done something wrong? Why, why are they ignoring me? Yeah. And you try and try and try, and it affects you. And that's why it is so effective for us, because if the narcissist ignores you, and then you go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please talk to me, you are signaling that you're under control, and you're giving the narcissist fuel. Job done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, the other thing I was going to ask you was, I know with a lot of empaths, particularly in the recovery process, we, and I've done this myself, we begin to wonder if we are the narcissists. Mm. Can you give us any insight into that? Because, you know, especially when you say that there are a lot of unaware narcissists out there. And when, when mm-hmm. I heard your videos, I began to think, oh, my God, am I? Am I a narcissist? <laughs> Am I? I don't, don't answer that on screen, actually. <laughs> I'm afraid of the answer. Um, there, is a, uh, there is quite a simple rule to that. If you have to ask the question, you aren't one. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it works like this. Okay. I know I am one. 
so I never have to ask the question. An unaware narcissist doesn't know what they are, and their narcissism will not let them know what they are. So, for instance, if I, because I know that they are, say to, the, say to a narcissist, you are a narcissist, but they're unaware, they won't go, oh, yeah, you're H.G. Tudor, you're the expert. You're right. They will go, no, you're, you're, you're just being nasty to me because you're a narcissist. Well, you see it that way because your narcissism tells you to see it that way in order to deflect my threat to your control by calling you a narcissist. Empaths repeatedly believe that they are narcissists because you see in shades of grey. Narcissists see in black and white. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either under control or you're threatening control. There's no in-between. You are capable of looking at yourselves because you are capable of self-reflection and thinking, I can see that I do some of these things that he talks about in his video. Oh my goodness me, I must be a narcissist. No, you're called a human being. You can give a silent treatment. You could punch somebody in the nose. You could uh, engage in a circular conversation. But the difference is you would know that you're doing it. And most narcissists don't. So when they deny it, they honestly deny it because they don't realize what they're doing because they're not allowed to know that they are a narcissist. Empaths regularly self-flagellate because they think, first of all, you're often told that you're a narcissist by the narcissist. And because you're capable of self-reflection, you think, perhaps I am the problem. Your emotional thinking causes you to go down the wrong road because you think to yourself, well, some of the things that they're saying about me or that I've listened to, they kind of resonate. Perhaps I am. But the fact is, an unaware narcissist will never, ever sit down with a scotch on the rocks and think, hmm, could I be a narcissist? Let me think about this for a moment. They just reject it. Yeah. What they might do for the purposes of control is say to somebody, X has said that I'm a narcissist. Do you think I'm a narcissist? I sometimes wonder if I am. When they're doing that, that's an unaware narcissist, not accepting that there's a potential that they could be one, but they are manipulating you with a pity play and triangulation in order to assert control over the person that accused them of being a narcissist by getting you to go, no, no, you're not a narcissist. I think they've just said something horrible about you. Oh, thank you, says the unaware narcissist. I was worrying about that for a moment. What have they done? They've asserted control over you in that conversation and they've asserted control indirectly over the other person through triangulation by getting you to confirm that you don't think they are one. They never for a moment countenanced that, but their narcissism said, in order to nullify the threat caused by the first person, speak to the second person and talk about how you might wonder whether you're a narcissist or not. This is a pity play. Of course, this goes on in the unconscious and the unaware narcissist doesn't realize that's what they're doing. The individuals that, to take the converse of this, what you have to be wary of are those people that run around on the internet proclaiming, I'm a uh, supercalifragilistic Hyoka empath and I slay narcissists before breakfast. Sure you do. You're likely to be an unaware mid-range narcissist because empaths don't crow about what they are. Mm, very interesting. You've given me a lot of insight there. A lot. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I'm sure yep. the subscribers will really, really, really enjoy that answer and it'll give a huge amount of understanding because it's a dilemma. Mm -hmm. It's a huge dilemma mm -hmm. for us. Okay, can I also ask you, um, if you don't mind, it's a bit personal, but have you ever gone out with another narcissist? Do you mean if I had a romantic relationship with one? Yeah, I should have been more precise. Yes, dated mm -hmm. another narcissist. Yeah. I have had sexual relationships with narcissists, but they never form what I term my intimate partner primary source. So I would never take one as a, a girlfriend, uh, a partner, a wife but I will utilize them for the purposes of the prime aims by having sex with them, maybe taking them out for dinner, that type of thing. But I would never say that I was in a formal relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend with one. Okay. And would you, would you enjoy their company more than you'd enjoy an empath's company? Well, enjoyment probably isn't the right description. Uh, I think it's probably would they cater to my needs effectively as an empath? The answer is no. That's why we target empaths, um, because you are easier to ensnare and keep ensnared and you cater to the prime aims more effectively than any other classification of person. But of course, a narcissist 
I can control a narcissist. I can gain fuel from a narcissist. I can gain character traits from a narcissist, and I can gain residual benefits from a narcissist. So I will do. The issue with that individual is, though, they will be trying to assert control against me. And whilst I'm superior to them, the fact is, I am not going to waste my energy and effort invading a difficult country when I can go and invade an easier one. We are creatures of economy. So we will look for empaths. Sometimes we will utilize narcissists because they're there, but that's I would utilize them in a secondary source capability. I would never utilize them as a primary source. Some, nar some narcissists do, usually in an unaware manner, and that's when you get narcissists colliding. But I've taken them in... I have, I have friends that are narcissists, for example. I have a couple of lieutenants that are narcissists because they're quite useful as attack dogs in that sense. And I've had sexual relationships with some narcissists, but I would never take them as a girlfriend. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. Um, then again, on two narcissists together, if you had two unaware narcissists, is it possible for them to sustain a long-term relationship? And what would that relationship look like? They could have a long-term relationship, but it would be pretty chaotic for the most part. With them both being unaware, of course, they're both trying to assert control over the other, which means that they will clash. But in some instances, because of the differing methods of the assertion of control, they could both feel like they've got control. So, for example, Narcissist A launches a vitriolic attack against Narcissist B. That is a direct assertion of control. Narcissist B's narcissism says, retreat, assert control by walking away. Narcissist A feels that he's got control because his narcissism tells him that she has run away from him. Therefore, he has control. Narcissist B, her narcissism tells her that she's got control because she decided she's not standing around to listen to this horseshit that he's coming out with. So in that instance, they both feel that they've got control. The problem is, of course, is that they will then come back together. So mm. she retreats into the garden for a gin and tonic, and he's tinkering around on the internet. And then she comes back in the house, and then she may say something which threatens his control, and off it goes again. There'll be periods where they will assert control over one another in a benign method. So a useful example of that, and I uh, referenced it in one of my recent videos about Meghan Markle, was the interface between Piers Morgan and Meghan Markle, both narcissists. And to begin with, there was a, a huge love in between the pair of them. It was the mutual appreciation club, mm -hmm. both using benign manipulations to complement one another, which enabled them to assert control, and they didn't feel like their control was being threatened. You're great. No, no, you're great. No, you're really great. No, you're even greater. And yeah. it's all hunky-dory. Until, of course, as we saw with that relationship, it went wrong. And there's the problem. Because of the need to assert control and take those other things, the absence of emotional empathy, the sense of entitlement, the lack of accountability, a relationship narcissist on narcissist, it might last for years because neither disengages from the other, but it won't be a happy relationship. It'll be a chaotic one. It'll be filled with violence, sulking, affairs, periods of disappearance, and then return. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. I've had an experience of, of a, a witnessing that type of relationship, and that's exactly, Indeed. exactly what happened. Um, yeah, I actually was going to mention your series on Meghan Markle and mm -hmm. Prince Harry is absolutely fascinating. It's just amazing. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Are you going to continue? You've done, I think, about 30 episodes to date. I have. It, it is the gift that keeps on giving, as I've mentioned in a couple of the videos. And whilst there are the occasional individual that's hard of understanding that thinks that I have an obsession, I haven't. I actually think she's rather dull. And the level accusations of racism, which is an intellectually lazy uh, comment. It is, such a, it is such a useful vehicle for allowing people to, A, understand what's going on in that dynamic. Because people are saying... Why, why is Harry saying these things? Why is he moved to America? What's going on there? So people get to understand what's really happening. But just as importantly, many people have suddenly thought, hang on a second, what you're talking about, HG, 
I have witnessed that in a relationship that I've had or I'm having. And it introduces people, it crosses the bridge from a famous person into their own world. And they realize, I think I might have been dealing with a narcissist. And there's been an upturn of individuals contacting me stating, I had no idea what I was dealing with. And then I came across your Meghan Markle series and it's turned me on to the suspicion that I think that I'm dealing with a narcissist. Were it not for the series, I'd have still been kept in the dark. And of course, that is very valuable in terms of, in a way, a sort of form of entertainment for people that they get to see this sort of car crash uh, in slow motion that's going on and they get the analysis and dissection of it by me, the expert. And at the same time, it enables people to gain understanding in their own world. And there are so many facets to it uh, that it is worth 30 parts. And undoubtedly, there will be more because it's far from finished. Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's very addictive as well, I'll have to say. I, I click on the minute I see one coming on. It's great. Thank you for doing it. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's highly relatable. And I, I can imagine that mm-hmm. people are coming to you more and more because of it. Um, yeah. Okay, just looking at my questions here. Um, okay, just changing the, the tact a little bit. Um, could you discuss, please, um, if a narcissist hits rock bottom, say in the midlife, mm-hmm. in their 50s or 60s, um, no income, no house, what kind of effect would this have? And I'm talking about, I suppose, your maybe your mid-range narcissist or your lower lesser narcissist what mm-hmm. what happens to them at this stage um do they change does it become worse their narcissism okay well as you know the narcissism needs to obtain the, the four aspects of the prime aims so having a roof over one's head is part of the prime aims having an income is part of the prime aims and there are some narcissists that will go and achieve those things themselves because that's the way that their narcissism works mm-hmm. others more likely to be a lower lesser or a middle lesser, as per my categorization. Freeloaders, they expect the world to owe them a living. And their narcissism guides them to select somebody that they can control, that will give them fuel, that will provide carriage traits, and allows them somewhere to live, and allows them somebody to uh, ponce off monetarily. Now, if there's a situation where, let's say, a narcissist uh, loses their house and they've nowhere to live, and they don't have an income, then that obviously has an adverse impact upon them and will cause their narcissism, it will amount to a threat to their control. So the narcissism will need to do something to remedy that situation, i.e. either cause the narcissist to go and lay on the charm and show some industry to go and get a job, or to go and find somebody else to sponge off find somewhere else to live, or pity play, go back to the parents, be the boomerang kid. The relation, my relationship's uh, gone up to Swanee. Uh, she's kicked me out. I've nowhere to live, mum. Can I come home? Boo-hoo, pity play. Empathic mother, let son return. So where there is the loss of those things, the narcissism will guide the narcissist to try and replace them to the extent that they're able to do so. It won't make them any more any less of a narcissist. I think what you're driving at also is perhaps is there any um, reduction in the abrasiveness of their behavior? Yes. And there can and there can be a trade-off. So what might happen is this: a narcissist that's getting older and perhaps has issues with health or injury is less mobile and therefore is less able to get out there and control people within that fuel matrix. So the number of people that they are able to control and thus gain the uh, other aspects of the prime aims from it is small. And the narcissism with some narcissists recognizes that there is a risk to the loss of the prime aims if they continue to be completely vitriolic and abusive towards, say, the primary source, the wife. Some narcissists will carry on doing that. Now, you may have a codependent empath. She just isn't going to leave. So he's nasty over and over, but he still has a place to live, somebody cooking his meals, doing the laundry, because she self-flagellates and stays in that abusive oh, relationship. Okay. But there'll be others that will get out. 
And then that narcissist is left with a problem because he has to then, driven by his narcissism, try and replace that individual, but he may not be able to do so. And that's where you get certain narcissists that basically uh, ostracize family, friends, romantic partner, and can't replace them, and then threaten to spiral into a fuel crisis. Their children don't visit anymore because dad has become this cantankerous old sod that's insulted them and they, you know, they remember the abuse from their childhood and they don't want anything more to do with him. Mum has now left father because after decades of abuse, she suddenly come upon the works of this genius H.G. Tudor, which has mm -hmm. guided her into what she needs to do. So then she leaves. And that individual, he's of advanced age. He's not in the best of health. So he might struggle to go and replace that individual. He has to turn to maybe the one or two friends that are still around, maybe uh, his brother rather than his children. But his brother might have cut him off as well because he's sick of the way that he's gone on. And so that individual, because his narcissism doesn't rein in the behaviour, basically cuts off his nose to spite his face. So it's very effective at certain control in the moment, but the collateral consequence is that it ostracises all these people. Now, 30 years ago, that wasn't a problem. Lose that friend, just go and get a new one. Not talking to that member of the family, butter up that member of the family instead. But certain narcissists, of course, people get wise to this behaviour. So the whole family know. They might not know that they're dealing with a narcissist, but they may well realise that he's toxic, that he's really hard work, and everybody stays away. And that narcissist may well then enter a fuel crisis. A different type of narcissist, the narcissism is a little more evolved. And it basically, if it had a voice, says this. Our narcissist is not going to be very good at getting replacements. Therefore, we need to put the brakes on some of his treatment towards this intimate partner primary source. We will trade off control and fuel for the continuance of the residual benefits of somebody um, <clears throat> providing with medication, cleaning his laundry, wiping his bottom if need be. So there's a trade-off. And so he becomes less irascible towards that individual. And therefore... He has to assert control, not directly by lambasting that individual, but instead he sits and sulks, withdrawal. And mm -hmm. she, having had years of this behaviour, just thinks, let it sulk, I don't care. In his world, he has control, so he's still achieved it, but he hasn't driven that individual away, so the narcissism is still able to commandeer the residual benefits that are required. Wow. Okay. So they adapt, so narcissists adapt to their situations. The narcissism can adapt in certain instances to tone down the abuse for mm. the preservation of the residual benefits, but not all narcissists that will happen to. Okay. Okay. Um, before we run out of time, I'm trying to get through these questions. Um, okay. So you have created many wonderful relatable, relatable videos in relation to hoovering and hoovering triggers, and they have been of such value to all of us. Could I ask you, though, just what, in your opinion, would be the biggest deterrent, if you could name one big deterrent to a narcissist hoovering um, a past source of supply? Implement a total and complete no-contact regime, and you won't be hoovered. Okay. That answers that very so, effectively. Okay. Yeah. It, it's not about causing massive wounding to the narcissist that they stay away forever. That doesn't happen. That's a, that's a myth. People go, oh, I've wounded the narcissist so substantially, he'll never hoover me again. Wrong. You will be hoovered if we can do it and if the situation is right. If you want to ensure that you're not hoovered, you must have a total no-contact regime, and then you can't be hoovered. Okay. So you won't, actually, you won't necessarily deter us. We will still attempt to hoover you, but you don't get to hear about it. Therefore, it's effective. We'll try, so we ring you up, you've changed your number so we get number unobtainable you've been hoovered but you don't get to hear about it there is there is no deterrent in itself because mm -hmm. even when we come up against your no contact regime we're wounded because we can't get through everything else stays equal we may not then try and hoover you for weeks possibly months but then the effect of that wounding fades and then we will come back and try again perhaps six months later but you've got a total no-contact regime, so you don't get to hear about it. So it's a, it's a deterrent to an extent because it causes us to stay away, but it's not a complete one because the reset button is pressed. But more importantly, from your perspective, it will feel like a deterrent because you don't get hoovered, because you don't get to hear about it. Okay. Yeah. 
your Goso is yeah. famous. Your Goso is famous on, on all of our channels. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody ta- tattoo it on their foreheads. <laughs> Empaths should be born with it on, tattooed on their arm, yes. really. Um, That's right, yeah. This is, a, this is a question I'd love to ask. I hope you don't mind me asking this one. Um, have you, HG, or do narcissists, I suppose, in general, ever have a favourite the one kind of source of supply and I suppose particularly for unaware narcissists do they ever feel that they had a love of their life they will do that um, but it will it will change like the seasons change so the one is always that individual that we're with in the golden period who's the intimate partner primary source you're the one you're my everything and then should it be necessary to control the, the current intimate partner primary source by devaluing them, we will tell you that the ex was the one. I, don't, I can't believe that I left her for you. She was the one. Hang on a second. When I got with you, Mr. Narcissist, you were telling me that she was a total cow. How is she now the one? Well, your behavior has made me see in the light. And she was. So there is, in terms of the one, there is no actual holy grail that, that can ever be found. It is just that individual at that moment in time, if they are under control and are catering to the primates better than anybody else, they are labelled as the one. But in the next breath, you can lose that status and be referred to as no longer the one and the person before you was the one or the penultimate, pre-penultimate one was the one and so forth. Okay, that answers that question perfectly. Um, but just, you know, sometimes um, we see narcissists and we hear on the, the channels that there is a forever supply, like narcissists seem to go back to one person three yeah. or four times. What's that mm-hmm. all about? It's ease. That person allows the narcissist to come back. So we will. Okay. There- if I want to buy some milk, and there's a corner shop or I have to drive to an out-of-town supermarket, I will go to the corner shop. But then I don't like the person in the corner shop. I perceive that they insulted me. So I'm not going to go to the corner shop anymore. I'll go to the corner shop two blocks away. But then the individual at that corner shop has insulted me, so I'm not going to go there. And because that corner shop becomes painted black, oh, look, the first corner shop, becomes painted white again so i go back to it because it's easy to do it it's not because that one is particularly special it's not because that's better than all of the others it's just easy for me to do it so i'll go and do it okay that's really answered that about the one uh, business okay um there's something that is really difficult for all of us empaths and that is the cognitive dissonance in relation to our ex-narcissists. Can you suggest anything that would help us with this? Certainly. Quite simply, access my work. It's the best. It'll give you all of the answers and that will enable you to understand what you've dealt with and for you to be able to make sense of it. What you have to remember is, as an empath, you have an addiction to narcissists. And that addiction sits in the heart of you, wanting to be fed. Now, if the if apologies, if the um, addiction said to you, "Hi, I'm the addiction. I need you to go and spend time with the abusive narcissist. Go and do it." You go, "No chance. Not doing that. that. That's horrible." So, what it has to do is it has to con you. It has to make you think. It, ha- it has to cause you to feed that addiction. And you feed that addiction by going in one or more of the five arenas of interaction. And so, for instance, one way it cons you is it says to you, surely he must have meant some of it. He can't, he he must have loved me at some point. I can't get my head around the fact that he was horrible to me, but then he was absolutely wonderful to me. How could that be? What are you now doing? You are thinking about the narcissist. You are perplexed as to what went on. You are allowing your thoughts to be governed by the presence of the narcissist. You're feeding the addiction. 
And the addiction won't let you see it clearly, because if you see it clearly, you'll stop thinking about it, and thus you won't feed the addiction. If you know what you're dealing with and you don't have any unanswered questions, you're not going to try and contact the narcissist to get supposedly closure. So this cognitive dissonance, which is part of the emotional thinking, exists to make you remain locked in, in some form with the narcissist, whether it's just continuing to use the narcissist for sex or to try and get the narcissist to understand how much you've been hurt or that you sit thinking, how could I be so stupid to be taken in by this individual? What's wrong with me? Or sitting there and go, I don't understand why this person treated me so brilliantly and then it went wrong. How, how can somebody do that? You've got to reverse it and you have to do this. It isn't the case that that person loved you and thought that you were wonderful and then it went wrong. They never loved you to begin with because if they did, they would not have abused you. Somebody that is habitually and repeatedly abusive cannot love you. We are not part-time narcissists. We don't genuinely love you and then it goes sour. We never loved you to begin with. That was a manipulation. That was an illusion. And it's hard for you to accept that because it was real. You didn't imagine it, but it's not genuine. So take two Louis Vuitton handbags. One is genuine. One is counterfeit. They look the same. They weigh the same. They smell the same. They feel the same. But one's counterfeit and one's genuine. How can you tell? You can't. Why? Because if you could, you wouldn't choose the counterfeit one. So when we come along, we have to make you think that we are genuine. And as a combination of our instinctive, or where you're dealing with an aware narcissist, calculative manipulative behavior, we behave in a way that we are driven to understand is the most effective way to hook you. We present as a kind and loving, exciting and interesting person. Because if I went into a bar and sidled up to a pretty lady and went, hello, my name's H.G. Tudor, I'm a narcissistic psychopath, would you like to be abused by me and have a dirty martini into the bargain? She'd shriek and probably run away from me. So mm -hmm. I sit next to her and I mirror her and I'm interesting and I'm magnetic and I'm interesting and I'm fun and I'm charming. So she's drawn to me. And at the same time, because I've recognized that she's an empath, she's afflicted by emotional thinking. So rather than think, oh, this guy is a little bit uh, intrusive by sitting and talking to me, she thinks, oh, gosh, she's taking an interest in me. He's nice. What a handsome chap. Mm, hubba hubba. And so she continues to interact with me. Mm. So for breaking what's going on, you have to understand that everything was a manipulation when you dealt with this individual. And that to begin with, it wasn't love that went wrong. It wasn't love in the first place. But use my material. That's what it's there for. And it's helped millions of people. Mm -hmm. There's a huge vault of information, both my videos, blog articles, the knowledge vault, and you can access me personally. And the testimonials demonstrate how many people have been helped in that regard. And if you can't do it on your own through accessing the material, use me. Mm. I guarantee you'll succeed because I want you to win because then I win and my legacy is extended. That's just great. And I know you also, if people are wondering if they're with the narcissist that you do, the diagnosis uh -huh. as well, that sounds... I do. You know, at yeah. some stages when you're just out of the relationship and your your mind is everywhere and you come across the narcissistic awareness um, communities, you really want to know, was I with a narcissist? And that mm -hmm. would be fantastic for people to access. HG, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, the point behind that is you're absolutely right. People question it. And again, their emotional thinking causes them to query, am I really with a narcissist? Could they be... Could there be some redemption here? Perhaps it was me. Maybe I was winding them up. Maybe I have a part to play in all of this. Having that done by me, the objective expert, if they're not, I'll tell you. And sometimes the results are that this person isn't a narcissist. If they are, I'll tell you that they are. I'll tell you why they are. So you gain that information, which forms a foundation for you then to implement a no-contact regime. And I'll tell you which type of narcissist they are so that not only can you then understand what the narcissist may do, you can also, which is just as importantly, know that they won't do certain things because there is so much rubbish said about our kind that causes people to become too fearful of narcissists. Whilst you shouldn't underestimate the situation, too many people give particular narcissists far too much credit. 
And that ought not to be the case. But they think that the narcissist is some kind of like Terminator machine, hell-bent on your destruction. They're not. Most people fail at no contact for two reasons. They don't actually understand it because the right information isn't out there. Well, I'll tell you exactly how to do it. And two, your emotional thinking gets in the way and it erodes it. That's the traitorous enemy within. Yeah, that's... At that stage of, of your confusion when you get out of the relationship, that would be a fantastic uh, tool to utilize. Mm-hmm. And thank you for, for what you're doing. I don't think that there is anyone else out there that is a narcissist that explains things as well as you do. And mm-hmm. I know we're coming to the end of our time here. I just want to, again, extend a huge thank you to you. Also, a thank you for taking my email and, you know, honoring me with, with giving your time to, to the platform here. I really appreciate you responding and I really appreciate what you've talked about today. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that will. So thank you very much, HG. You're, you're very welcome. Pleasure to shed more light upon the dynamic and my kind. And uh, I, expect people to utilize that material for their benefit and they'll find it hugely helpful and thank you for inviting me onto your platform i've enjoyed uh, explaining the situation further thank you okay i guess we'll end here thanks very much okay say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.